there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. You think this pain factory that we're living in is something else, or it could be something else, or you could somehow make it something else. And so that leaves you in a kind of hope, but it's a very low form of hope. It's a form of hope based on lies. It's a form of hope based on ignorance, the darkness that that ignorance brings. And of course, in darkness, much easier to imagine things. You can imagine what's in the dark in your bedroom at night when you're a child. You can imagine what's under the bed or what's in your closet. You can imagine when I was a child lived in uh, New Jersey, they have basements there. It's not like here. They have basements, so you could actually go down into the basement. Well, the basements could be very scary very dark and scary. So people from the East Coast know about that. The basements and the... There were some basements you wouldn't even go near the door of the basement, let alone go down into the basement. And it's because of your imagination. We've heard that we're our own worst enemies, but we don't really understand it, nor do we understand how to alter it, how we could become something besides our own worst enemies. Your whole life, you have been your own worst enemy, and you're still, to this day, your own worst enemy. And you don't know why. You really don't. You don't have a clue why. And what's even sadder than that is you can't even remember it. You go through your day thinking that you're not your own worst enemy. And as a matter of fact, if you could remember that you were your own worst enemy, that would give you some leverage over it. But the fact that you can't even remember it means that you keep on falling in it or you never really get out of it. Today I'm going to attempt to share my understanding of destruction and why we are destroyers. It's what makes this place, this planet that we're glued to, a pain factory. There is something that we need to understand about it that we don't understand, and as a rule, refuse to understand. Morris Nichols said, All truth coming from those who are at a far higher level of the understanding of it than we are cannot be transmitted directly. We have nothing with which to receive it, and so occupy ourselves with our level of understanding truth, with legal arguments, forms, and so on. Higher truth, therefore, reaches us in terms of lower, rigid, literal truth. Now, the next part is very important. The destruction of psychological truth by literal truth is the continual drama of human life. The reason that this is a pain factory is because the destruction of psychological truth by literal truth is the continual drama of human life, making this a pain factory. This is why it takes effort to evolve. The lower is constantly destroying the higher. The animal is eating the spiritual. History repeats itself. The law of the jungle rules supreme. Sea influence descends to B, to A. Fire destroys the library of Alexandria, putting man back in almost a complete dark ages. Wars 
destroy things that men have built and built up for thousands of years. And a war can knock it down in a matter of hours, days, months, years. Earthquakes. One minute you have a city that's been built up with millions of people living in it, and five minutes later you have destruction. And it takes years, decades, to rebuild after that five minutes of destruction. Let's not even talk about tsunamis, that tsunami that hit the, the east and literally wiped out. It was incomprehensible. The destruction was incomprehensible. We moan when we see these things. There's no God. If there was a God, He wouldn't let this happen. Why does God let things like this happen? I don't believe in a God who would do that to His people. Why does God let innocents suffer? Why does God do this? Why does God do that? And we shake our fist or flip Him off. And it's us. All of this is the way it is. And we are the ones who don't understand it. Sea turtles leave the sea to bury hundreds of eggs in the sand. Two months later, helpless babies hatch and run the gauntlet to the sea, attacked by birds, fish, crabs, and other predators. If you've ever seen it, it's tragic. It's incredible. Here are these little living beings scrambling for their lives, trying to get to the sea. And even when they get to the sea, until they can get out to a certain depth in the sea, they're still not safe. They're still gobbled up by whatever's waiting for them out there. What do we do about it? Well, we curse the darkness rather than light a single candle of understanding because it takes right knowledge and right effort to light that candle. And this is our condition. And this is the condition of the people, we call people, the machines on this planet. If so many weren't destroyed, let's just take a look at this in another way. Let's take a look at the sea turtles. Hundreds and hundreds of little sea turtles. That's one, just one turtle goes ashore and digs in the sand and buries these eggs. That's just one. Let's say there are thousands doing that. So you have thousands and thousands of these little sea turtles scrambling for the sea. How many years do you suppose it would take before the sea was solid sea turtles? Well, if you can calculate it all, it wouldn't take long. Everywhere we look, we see these two forces. What are the two forces we're looking at? Creation, destruction. Creation, destruction. Everywhere we look, everything that you see is being destroyed. Your body right now is being destroyed and it's being created right now. Cells are renewing right now in your body and cells are dying right now. Most people misunderstand something they call God as a creative force and only a creative force. And then they see something else that they call the devil as the destructive opposing force. This fragmentation of the absolute is the result of our own fragmentation of ourselves. Because we have not been able to accept the destructive side of us, we have had to invent a God who is only creative, who is only good, who is only light, who only does the things we want him to do and who never does the things that we don't understand or that we don't like or that we don't want. This is how we create a God in our image and after our likeness. What we fail to understand is that esoteric teachings say that we were created in the image and after the likeness of God. So clearly, we don't understand what that word means. Clearly, what we understand is far less, far smaller than what actually is so.
This creates a huge, huge problem for us. It makes us unbalanced and fragmented. And in this unbalanced, fragmented state, we then become this destructive force. Look at what we do to one another every day. So we have this thing inside of ourselves that we refuse to look at. We disown. And this is our destructive side. This is what we keep in the darkness. This is whatever we see about ourselves. It doesn't seem right according to our pictures. We push that into the closet. We push that under the bed. We push that down into the basement. And we won't acknowledge that it's there because it won't harmonize with the pictures that we have of ourselves. And if we do bring it up to the pictures that we have of ourselves, then the pictures that we have of ourselves begin to be dismantled. They begin to be destroyed. So again, the destructive process starts. Now, what's being destroyed is our own pictures, but our own pictures, we, our sense of self, our feeling of I is in those pictures. We believe ourselves to be those pictures, those imaginary pictures. We believe ourselves to be those. So when something comes up out of the basement, something that is part of us comes up out of the basement or comes out from under the bed or comes out of the closet in the darkness at us, we scream in terror and fear and fight it and try to push it back in there, try to destroy it somehow because we feel that it will destroy us because we feel that we are our pictures of ourselves. All of this enables us to separate ourselves from ourselves. And it also gives us the ability to separate from others. If you can separate your dark side from your light side, it makes it much easier for you to separate yourself from other people. It makes it much easier for you to look at other people as either light or dark. But it's impossible for you to see them as both until you see yourself as both. You can't see God as both until you see yourself as both. And you'll never see yourself as both without a third force. Because not one thing on this planet, not one thing that's in existence, comes into being without three forces. Nothing comes into being with only two forces. There has to be a third force. What that third force is determines whether or not something will actually come into being. So we separate from ourselves. That gives us the ability to separate from others, making attack and violence possible, and then fueling the devolution or the descending octaves that lead us to our own destruction and imprisonment on this planet. In other words, that's how we're our own worst enemies. You want something, but you don't get it. What does that mean? Well, it means that you can't have it. What does that mean? It means that something stopped you, but you know you want it so that something couldn't be you, so that something must be someone or something else, some other force. So you go hunting for that other force, like Elmer Fudd. Be very, very quiet. There's a black rabbit around here somewhere. You know, and we're just going to find that rabbit and kill it. And unfortunately, we end up projecting our dark side onto someone else and attacking it there. And this is what makes this place a pain factory. Now, the work teaches there are three forces necessary for any manifestation to occur. We don't understand this. We think we understand this. If I were to ask you, what, what does that mean? Someone will give me the whole spiel. They'll give me the spiel. You know, they'll tell me the words. They'll tell me the teaching. They'll tell me the story. 
I'm not going to embarrass anybody by letting anyone do that. Because when you do, then I'm just going to tell you you don't understand it. And then you're going to be angry with me for telling you that you don't understand something that your picture of yourself tells you you do understand. Yeah. So calculating second force tells me that I need to keep my mouth shut about that. So I'll do that. And you can just do whatever it is you do. Now, the reason we don't understand this is because we don't apply it to ourselves. What that means is we don't see the three forces at work in ourselves. And because we don't see the three forces at work in ourselves, we can't see the three forces at work in others, in the world, or in the Absolute. Remember, knowledge applied to our being equals understanding. Understanding is the greatest force we can create in ourselves. It's the force that can lead us up to higher being. It's the force that can transform us and transform our lives. That's the force that will make destruction impossible the way we do it. Now, in Christianity, the Christian religion is based on the idea that God is three in one. This is the great mystery of the Trinity, that God is Father, that God is Son, and that God is Holy Spirit, but that all of those three are the exact same and that they're one. They're in that one. So that's the mystery. You've heard this before, right? And the reason that it's viewed as a mystery is because we don't understand what we're parroting. Someone came out with this esoteric truth. God is first one, then God is three, and then God is seven. So this is the esoteric truth. But we don't know what that means. And the reason we don't know what that means is because we do not see what it means in us. And until we see what it means in us, we're not going to see what it means anywhere. The Hindu trinity is a little bit different. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's creative, preservative, and destructive. So, as you may or may not know about the Hindu religion, there are lots of gods. But what people don't understand is that, and I mean Hindus or the rest of the world, other religions don't understand, is all those gods are simply one god with many different facets. It's a way of understanding something that is incomprehensible to the finite mind. It's a way of somehow getting a grip on something that can't be gripped. It's a way of approaching something that we can't really see all at once. So it's like Mount Everest. You really are never going to be able to get far enough away from Mount Everest to see the whole thing. And if you do, you will lose all the detail that you would see if you were able to see the whole thing up close. But you can't. It's not possible because it's too big. This is the same kind of thing. Don't take this too far. It breaks down, of course. Like everything must. Everything must break down eventually. All of these examples that I use have to eventually break down. But your job is not to follow the letter, the literal, and try and find where it's going to break down, unless, of course, you need to do that. If you need to do that, then you'll do that. You'll do that because you will have no choice. You will mechanically destroy everything that I say. You will mechanically pull down every higher truth that you can't understand, that you have nothing to receive it with, so you mechanically pull it down into the literal where it will be destroyed. This is why esoteric teaching says, say, it's the spirit of the law that gives life, it's the letter of the law that kills. Because the letter of the law, the lower, does kill. It takes the spirit right out of it and puts it into form and ritual where it becomes meaningless and finally is used as a weapon against 
the very people that it came to set free. Can you see if there is just a creative and preservative, we are soon overrun and destroyed? Too many deer begin to starve because of not enough food in the winter. I just read something the other day. The state, Idaho, they have decided that to petition the federal government for permission to kill 80% of the wolves that were seeded into Idaho. The wolves were almost extinct. And so they were seeded into Idaho and other places as well. Idaho, Wyoming, and areas where they roam freely. And they started to come back a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. And now, because they're endangered and protected, the state has to petition the federal government to allow them to kill them. So they'll go trapping and aerial hunting. You know, they'll fly around in helicopters and shoot them on the run. You've seen it. You know, and so this is so they need to knock out eighty percent of them. They need to take down eighty percent of them. And now they're not that many. Don't, it's not like there are thousands or hundreds even. They're just not that many. But you want to know why? Because they're decimating. This is the word they use. Decimating. Decimate means one in ten. It was a Roman practice. They took one in every ten and killed one in every ten. It was called decimating. When they conquered. They'd line them up, they'd take the tenth one, boom, kill them. Tenth one, boom, kill them. Now, the wolves are supposedly decimating the elk herds. Now, what that really means is this is affecting tourism. We have hunters come here for elk, and it's harder for them to find elk to kill because the hunters, they only kill the best. They go for the biggest, the healthiest, the best. They only kill those, while the wolves only kill the weak, the sick, the stragglers, the old, the young. But the strongest get to survive, which keeps the herds strong. What we do weakens the herds and destroys everything. Why? Because we have no understanding. That's why. Because we want, but we do not understand second force inside of ourselves. That's just one example of this destructive force. In the natural world, Many must die. Disease, war, and famine all reveal the destructive aspect keeping down the number of created things. It's easier to destroy than create, making it necessary for a preservative force to keep things in balance. It's very clear that it's easier to destroy something than it is to create something. This is the destructive force. We misunderstand something. We can't see it in ourselves. We attack it out there and we try to destroy it. It's what we do. It's what makes religion what it is today. What it is today is a hunting ground. Look at the world. Look at what happens. Look at look at look around. Look at what look at what's happening. It's mass insanity. People slaughtering one another, destroying works of art, enslaving people, enslaving entire genders, all in the name of God, all in the name of God, which God is love. So all in the name of love. And it's absurd but we don't know why it's happening or how to stop it or how we are a part of it. So we have three forces making manifestation possible. Lespensky said, a manifestation is something that is, something that takes place. Simple enough. Now we know what a manifestation is. Behold, for a moment, a sunflower. Just consider a sunflower. The seeds all beautifully compacted together in this pattern. And if you look at it, it's like, wow, it's just amazing. It's so beautiful. This is an example of the preservative force making it possible for the creative force to be preserved. 
there are hundreds and hundreds of little seeds packed in there like that, making it possible for, at a certain moment, for those seeds to begin to fall away when that flower dies, those seeds begin to fall away and they'll be scattered and some of them will be eaten by birds and some of them will be ruined by bacteria. They'll be eaten by bacteria on the ground and some of them will be just destroyed by the sun or weather or whatever. And some of them will actually find a way into the ground and they will grow. And the creative process will be preserved because of that. And all of the other will be the destructive force. So... This is pretty much the way it works. A baby is born creative. And the mother gives her life to preserve that child. That's the preservative force. You'll see a mother bear, after hibernation, comes out of the cave with their baby, or babies, their cubs. And the father is out looking for food. If the mother doesn't protect the babies, the father will eat his own young. That's the creative, preservative, and destructive forces at work. You see it in everything when you begin to look for it. And that's fine that you see it in everything when you begin to look for it. So the baby's born creative. The mother gives her life to preserve it, to protect it. That's the preservative force. Then life destroys it, destructive. The baby's going to die. The baby's going to grow up and die because you're going to die because that's what happens to everyone on this planet. They're all destroyed. So there's the three forces at work. All this is fine theory until we find it in ourselves. It remains theory giving us no new meaning, no new understanding, no development, no change of being. It's just words on a page, words in a recording, thoughts in our head. It stays in the intellectual center where it does nothing except wait, or it does worse. A man regarding himself as very good cannot develop until he sees the second force in himself. The second force is the destructive force, the opposing force. To understand this properly, you must study first force in yourself, then second before you can see what third force means. So first, you must study in yourself first force. Then, when you've studied first force, then that will lead you to study second force in yourself. And until you do that, you will not be able to understand what third force is. You won't know what it means. Seeing this triad in yourself gives a different relationship to yourself. Most people think they can do or they cannot do what they want, right? These are things you can do. These are things you can't do. The more you want a thing, the more second force comes against you. It's commensurate with your desire. People moan their lives are spoiled because they didn't get what they wanted. True? As you study this triad in yourself, you'll see wherever you are negative, you are destructive. You can't see anything good in anyone when you're negative. When you're negative, you don't even see anything good in yourself. You can't see anything good in anyone. You're destructive. A child, for example, shows a gift, can paint, has this artistic talent, can paint. What happens? Instantly, people oppose it. Instantly. Why? In an attempt to destroy it. They want to get that out of the child. Destroy that. Wipe it out of the child. Why? Stop this nonsense or you'll be doomed to flipping burgers for the rest of your life. The only question that you'll be asking anybody is, what do you want with your fries? This is what we believe about creative people. What? One in a thousand? One in ten thousand? Make it to the big screen in Hollywood? 
One in ten thousand? Come on, it's, it's less than that, isn't it? It's one in a million, isn't it? I mean, we have no clue how many people aspire to that and never even make it to Hollywood. Well, what about the great artists, great architects, great anything? All these people who aspire to this, and how many of them make it? So we help the child by destroying this in them, by becoming negative. And yet, if someone in the child's life realizes he's done something beyond what the family ordinarily does, this person represents the preservative force, a mentor, someone who believes, someone who hopes, someone who supports, someone who preserves this gift. As if the gift had to go to greatness, as if the gift itself wasn't the greatness, as if the joy that that child could have doing what it was gifted to do wasn't enough. No, it has to be this way or else it must be destroyed. Like I said, when we're negative, we can't see anything good in anybody. Most of us are destroyers. When you get in this work, people will come against you. What are you doing? Are you insane? Why can't you explain it to me? What do you mean you can't talk about it? Who won't let you talk about it? What is this, some kind of a cult? Who has the power over you to make you stop doing this? Who is changing you? Who is doing this to you? Who has brainwashed you? How have you fallen into this evil? You were never like this. We didn't raise you to be like this. Why? Well, a man must object to someone different from himself. He has to. He's got to object to someone different from himself unless he has that crucial force. What is that crucial force again? I've forgotten what it was. Understanding. Understanding, that's right. I didn't really forget. I was baiting you. I'm evil. So, unless he has that, that crucial force of understanding, he has to object to someone different from himself, thereby becoming destructive to him. has to be destructive to that person because he objects to that person. He now opposes that person. Now he objects to that person. He is negative to that person. A man must object to someone different from himself. In the work, we must see then that this man that we would destroy by criticism and judgment is like ourselves. We have to see that. We have to see that what it is we're trying to destroy with our judgment, with our criticism, with our condemnation is something that is just like what we are unable to and unwilling to see in ourselves. We begin to see in ourselves the same thing we criticize in others and begin to move into the middle or the third neutralizing force between the opposites. Only then do you find a way not to be defeated by what happens in life. See, the problem with life is, is that we are defeated by it all the time. Every time you get negative, you're defeated by life. Every time you don't love, every time you don't enter into understanding, every time you don't have understanding, every time you don't transform incoming impressions into fuel for building your higher body, every time you don't move in the direction of conscious love, every time you move in the other direction, you have been defeated by life, mostly your life is spent in defeat. Mostly, your life is spent in negativity. It's passed in negativity. So much so that you have become accustomed to being negative, so now being negative is the state you crave because it's the only thing that gives you any kind of focus and peace with yourself, with your fragmented, twisted, unbalanced self, your own inner life of turmoil and grief and misunderstanding and negativity. And so the only way to ease that pain is to strike out, to lash out. Does it ease the pain? No, of course not. It just multiplies it. But for the moment, we feel we're in control. 
for the moment that we can lash out in judgment, criticism, and condemnation, for that moment, we can totally obscure that thing in ourselves that we can't live with. We can project it out there and attack it out there and squander our force and our energy until we have the state that we get in where we actually are devoid of force. We're exhausted. And that is the false personality's answer to peace. Exhaustion. You beat whatever it is that you can't that you will not accept in yourself. You beat it, you attack it out there with such viciousness and force that you finally become exhausted and you collapse and call that peace. But it's not peace because the slightest thing can stir you again and then you'll be looking for some more force to hurl at whatever it is outside of you that you've decided is to be destroyed. This is our condition and this is why it's a pain factory here and this is why we're part of it and this is why we're destructive. We begin to see the unity of being and thereby discover conscious love and our meaning and purpose when we can see this third force. But we have to see, first of all, the first force in ourselves, then the second force in ourselves, before we can see this third force in ourselves. Now the third force in ourselves is life. What takes the two forces that are bound, that are stuck together, the creative force and the destructive force, what transforms that into something else, relates them properly to one another, is this third force. When the third force is life, we become destructive. It tips toward destruction. When the third force is the work or esoteric teachings, then it tips toward balance. It tips toward preserving what is created and destroying what must be destroyed so that what is real can exist. Like I said in the beginning, you have pictures of yourselves. Those pictures stand in the way of you knowing your real self. You can't know real I and have those pictures. So those pictures are going to have to be destroyed. That's the proper use of the destructive force. The improper use of the destructive force is to destroy the truth that comes to destroy those pictures. That's our use. That is why I say that the destruction of psychological truth by literal truth is the continual drama of human life. We've got to see this in ourselves. When you can see this in yourself, you can do something about it. As long as you're not seeing it in yourself, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world. You will constantly be drawn back out into the world and you'll say, well, that's just not right. Oh, that's so horrible. That kid shouldn't happen. That shouldn't be. I don't want to see that. I don't want to know that. But when you understand it in yourself, you stop shaking your fist at God. You now have one God who is one, three, and seven. And I can't explain the seven now because we don't have time. But someday maybe. It doesn't really matter unless you can find all of this in yourself and relate it to yourself. You will not be properly related to your universe, to your God, to your fellow human beings, to the rest of this organic film that coats this planet. And life will remain a pain factory. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.